Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Hey, Ryan? I'm good. I'm great. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this issue. Me too. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a few things to cover before we dive into the issue, but um, I guess I'll start by saying that it's pretty cool that we are you know, finally caught up since we didn't start this podcast until um, a couple issues in. So yeah. we're recording within a week of the latest episode coming out, which I actually think is kind of good because it'll give... Uh, not only us, but give everybody else a chance to get their issue and kind of read through it. Exactly. Um, so well, most of the fans, I think by now, have had a chance to uh, to get a hold of the issue and read it. So this is a good time, I think, to review the issue. Exactly. So hmm. without further ado, yes. why don't we um, start with the contest that we announced in the last um, episode? Yeah. And uh, that is, for those of you who hasn't, haven't listened to that episode, we were talking about guns and their appearance in ElfQuest with Ongriff Jun and what that could mean. And we were kind of joking around. And mm -hmm. Ryan, I think it was you that said something like, you know, could you imagine what would happen if the Gobacks got guns? Yeah. And we laughed about it and decided to make a little fun fan art contest. Or impromptu little contest. Yeah, I think it's our first yeah. one that we've done. And I think that we'll do more of yeah. them because it was kind of yeah, fun. And uh, we didn't get tons of entries, but we got a, we got a handful yeah. of them. And they were really fun. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so so thank mm. you to everybody that submitted. And, um, you know, folks submitted on Facebook and on the ElfQuest forum. So I just spent some time going through all of those posts and um, making sure I didn't miss anybody. If we did miss someone... Please let us know, and we will give you a shout-out in the next episode. Mm -hmm. But what I thought I would do, since there's not a ton of them, is just um, quickly run down everybody that submitted Great. and what they submitted, and then we can announce who our winners are. Awesome. Okay. okay. So um, let me just flip back to my notes here. So um, first one was Nightsea, and Nightsea submitted a really adorable um, ElfQuest doll. And if you're not on the ElfQuest forums, um, dolls are really popular. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's the, the the dolls thread on the ElfQuest forums has like thousands and thousands of entries. Mm -hmm. So there are a handful of ElfQuest fans out there that really get into these sort of doll makers and adapting them into ElfQuest and their fan characters. And so Nightsea did a really cute, adorable little chibi style uh, go back doll with a gun. Yeah. Next one was um, Zerk Durka, also on the ElfQuest forums. And Zerdurka submitted a, uh, a female go-back with a revolver. I like that name, um, Zerdurka. <laughs> I know, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess at um, genders. Um, if, uh, if So if I get that wrong, my apologies. Um, I don't know if Zerdurka is male or female. But um, next one is one of my favorites. Our dear friend Tavi submitted a, just a totally fun tongue-in-cheek um, uh, illustration of Kavi with a quote-unquote gun show. So it's Kavi flexing her biceps and not actually having a gun. So I thought that was a really fun that twist. Is, yeah. 
Um, next one down was Night Tannum, who did a very trippy, surrealistic uh, version of the Go Backs with Guns theme with um, a couple Go Backs with guns mm. and kind of a mashup of a bunch of other characters, including Ursula yeah. from The Little Mermaid. So I thought yeah. that, that was kind Somehow of fun. Now Ursula ended up in there. There's some rift <laughs> in the time space continuum, and she yes. landed on the world of time. Um, yeah, a little bit of colliding fandoms there, I think. Um, all right, next one was. Another one of my favorites, Obsidian6244, submitted a, an awesome illustration of a go-back with a huge, massive gun. And in the background, there were little targets with trolls on yeah. them, which I thought was a really nice That's touch. That's really funny. <laughs> it's kind of like an Acme Looney Tunes type uh, scene going on there. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then there's Sirena, who did a really amazing illustration of Chot, or you know, everybody's favorite or least favorite go-back. Um, with a, a nice action shot of, of Chot leaping with a, a gun in hand. So that was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, Wildfire submitted an awesome one of Vaya with some really great perspective, really, really dark and serious looking. So that one was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then the last one that I have is Delia, who submitted a an illustration of a go-back in profile with like a huge bazooka-style gun. Yeah, rocket um, launcher or bazooka, yeah. Yeah, or a rocket launcher, something like yeah. that. Um, and she did it in, in actually two versions. First, it was submitted as a pencil, and then she went on and inked it. So that was kind of nice, too, to see the two different versions. Very cool. Thank you for all the entries, everyone. Yeah, and before huh. we announce our winner, mm -hmm. our winners, um, I want to give a shout-out to Ryan. Oh, because, thank you. Ryan, you did a completely kick-ass illustration. Thank you. Um, to get things kicked off with a trio of go-backs. And I love the fact that you plucked them from um, the last uh, issue of Shards, Shards number 16, when um, you know the palace goes and visits all the different tribes and we see a, you know, a gaggle of go-backs. And um, I myself have done some fan art of them. So it was really cool yeah. to see uh, those those go-backs show up with go Well, I specifically threw in one of those go-backs there who I know is uh, one of your favorites. He's an unknown go-back with um, that floppy hat. Yeah, the smart yeah. hat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I threw him in there for you. So yeah, and uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so um, all right, so so Ryan and I were just chatting before we started, and we couldn't decide on a winner because we both had strong feelings about one particular piece um, each, and so what we decided was. You know, we're, we're, uh, since we're running the show here, we can have two winners. Yeah. So, um, Ryan, why don't you go first and tell folks who you thought had the best okay. one? Okay, my winner for this contest is Chot by Serena. Um, I love this image. I think it's great. Uh, totally on model for Chot. Um, great dynamic action pose. Uh, fantastic detailing. The detail on the gun is incredible. It looks almost like an antique. Um and I like the fact that she made it um, uh, sepia-toned, sepia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it kind of fits into that whole, like, Old West kind of uh, atmosphere feeling. That totally, yeah. I, I, I really like that one, too. Um, but for me, I chose to go with Wildfire's Vaya. And I picked that because I really love the perspective. Um, you know, it's sort of a, a sort of a shot looking up 
Um, and you see the gun in the foreground and you see Vaya with this grim face and it's rendered in this sort of gray scale, gray tones. And it just had a really um, almost like film noir kind of Definitely. kind of feeling to it. And uh, I, I really enjoyed yeah. that. So, yeah, it's- um, so, yeah, again, thanks, everybody, for participating. I had a lot of fun promoting it and seeing all the entries. So stay tuned. And maybe in a few more episodes, we'll do some other fun kind of art fan art contest. Yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll think of something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there's two more things that I want to quickly mention before we get into um, the issue, issue number five, and that is the. Um, if you guys are are fans of this show, you know that we don't have the best track record with pr- pronunciations. <laughs> no. It's, it, well, it's mainly been me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be generous. Yeah, but, yeah, I, um, I know, but uh, let let's no, be I, honest. I, I have mispronounced names as Maybe well. Maybe one or um, two, one... but not consistently every single episode, multiple characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... the one that I consistently screw up is um, is Angriff Jung. I always say Angriff, which is a real sort of, I guess, Americanized you know version. I, but I um, it's I definitely... Say. I probably... Yeah. <laughs> well, we love you anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, so um, in part... Because of, uh, of, of that on the show, mm-hmm. um, Wendy and Richard and Rob and Heather Biskitza, who are working on um, ElfQuest.com, hatched a plan to put up a little bit of a pronunciation guide on the official character profiles for each of the characters, which if you go to ElfQuest.com, you can, um, you, know, you can look at each character profile and you can get a little phonetic um, you know, pronunciation guide, as well as, and I, I'm pretty certain Richard came up with these just based on how f- punny and witty and funny they are, um, you know, sort of like a sounds like kind yeah. of thing. So um, definitely go check it out because it's good for a few chuckles at, and you'll also get to know exactly how Wendy and Richard pronounce the characters' names. Mm, and I think I need to sit down with that and start studying. Everything. <laughs> I need to do some memorization. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. So definitely um, everybody go check that out. And then the, the last thing I wanted to mention is something that literally uh, just kind of hit the interwebs, if you will, like an hour ago. And it's really awesome. Um, for all of you guys who love ElfQuest merch, there is a new ElfQuest pin produced by a company called Badali Jewelry. And this, of course, is an official licensed product from Warp Graphics mm-hmm. and approved by Wendy and Richard. And it's a, a pin of New Moon. Yeah. And I'm looking at it right now on their website. It's it's pretty fantastic. Very cool I mean, looking. it's it's very, very authentic looking. Um, I don't know exactly how big it is, but um, yeah, maybe it looks a quarter like, of an inch or so. Yeah, let's see. It's uh, you know, it's just under one and five eighths inch, inches long, so it's not too big. So um, you know, you can still wear it and not have to worry about being gaudy. But um, I'm totally gonna order one, yeah. and I'll sport it when I do my convention rounds. Along um, with your and it comes, uh, bear claw wolf's head necklace. That's right. Yeah, you can wear them yeah. both. Um, and it looks like you can get it in sterling silver, or if you want to get fancy, you can get it in 14-karat gold, either uh, straight-up yellow gold or white gold. Um, so that's pretty neat. And it ranges from, like, the sterling silver one is only 29 bucks. If you want to go with the gold, it's a little bit more pricey. The, uh, it looks like it maxes out at $325. So um, if you're feeling like splurging, you can pick that up. And if you don't feel like splurging, um, you know, 29 bucks is pretty reasonable for a fun little piece of ElfQuest merchandise. Plus it doubles as a very small form of self-defense too there you go yeah or a letter opener absolutely (laughs) yeah 
All right. Is there anything else, Ryan, that you wanted to, um, you know, updates or news or anything that you wanted to talk about before we dive into the issue? Um, okay. I guess I might as well talk about this. So I've been thinking about some ways to kind of involve the fans a bit more in the podcast. And obviously, with the last episode, we came up with this uh, the contest for the Go Backs with Guns, which uh, worked out quite well. Um, but I've been uh, trying to rack my brain um, coming up with some sort of idea. So what I've uh, decided I'm going to try is um, a call-in show, kind of. Uh, not call-in live, but uh, I would like the fans to call in to my Skype. So I'm going to provide them with my Skype address. Um, either on the forums or on Facebook or both, I guess. Um, and fans will be able to call in and leave a voicemail, which uh, I will then take the MP3 files and edit them into a show. Um, so I think we'll give the fans maybe two or three weeks to call in and leave okay. messages. And then I'll edit things together into an episode. And uh, and then we'll I'll post it on SoundCloud. So we'll have like a fan feedback episode. But um, my idea for the first episode would be uh, everyone's thoughts so far on Final Quest. So your theories, speculations, um, just feedback and uh, general um, response to the Final Quest uh, as of the first five issues. So Yeah, Yeah, awesome. I think that is... um such an amazing idea. So many folks have um, have posted that they'd love to, you know, sort of make a guest appearance on the mm-hmm. show. And I think this is probably the uh, the most effective and efficient way to give everybody a chance um, to to do just that without getting um, really crazy with technical and recording and trying to have a bunch of people on live. Exactly. So um, <clears throat> I totally love this idea, and I'm I'm thinking that we're probably going to get a ton of responses. I, so, I hope so. so. I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm kind of looking at this as sort of a, a test, um, and. And if it yeah, goes well, yeah. then obviously we can do more in the future. But this is sort of the the testing one. So we'll see, you know, what kind of a response and feedback we get. And if it's um, a good one, then, you know, we can do more. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll set this up as a, as a test run. All right, mm. awesome. And if it works, mm-hmm. this might be something that we can do in, in kind of the off month, if you Definitely. will. Definitely. The final quest comes out every other month, um, so maybe we can, you know, do these in between, um, so that we have a steady flow of shows and everybody can get their fix of Elf Quest. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea, right? So, like you say, in the off months, we could have uh, one of <coughs> a fan feedback show. Um, yeah, but yeah. I'll I'll come up with a a bit more of the details as far as that's concerned. I was thinking maybe people can um, announce who they are, like their name and and where they're from or something, and then you know, go into their, their uh, spiel about the final quest. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think probably what we'll do, everyone, is that Ryan and I will talk this out and come up with, you know, sort of the parameters and the rules and the instructions, and then we'll post it on Facebook and on the official ElfQuest forums, and we'll post it multiple times so there won't be any, um, you know, everybody will know where to go exactly. and to, to get the information on how to participate. Yeah. And um, so, so stay tuned for that um, shortly after this episode gets you know goes out there live. right and of course this is all dependent upon the technical aspects too which i haven't really tested out so i don't know if i'm sort of uh you know jumping the gun on this but uh i i have to look into the technical aspects as far as um extracting the mp3 files from a uh, voicemail on skype um so mm-hmm. i'll have to do some research into that 
But uh, I'm pretty sure it's not that difficult. I mean, if I can figure out how to do podcasts and edit it. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, again, another huge shout out, Ryan, for all the work that you're doing to uh, uh, produce the show. Bad. It's not. Yeah, no, seriously, I just get to sit here and talk ElfQuest <laughs> and, and you do all the hard yeah, I work. I actually so. really enjoy it. The more I've been doing it, it's, it's quite fun, actually. So yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, you know, one more thing to add to your resume. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, um, let's get right into um, issue number five of the final quest. And um, <clears throat> for those of you who were participating in the thread, uh, the ElfQuest show thread, um, a lot of folks were wondering if we could maybe try to make episodes shorter. Um, you know, I'm not sure how short we're going to be able to make them without m- making it very artificial for Ryan and I to have normal, natural conversation. Um, we really just want to focus on saying what we want to say and sometimes it does end up being longer but i think one thing that might help is that we are um instead of going page by page through every issue and really getting into a lot of the minutiae i think we're just going to dive into the events and we'll see how that goes in this episode and may or may not work because you know we like to talk elf quest so um so bear with yeah. us and if, if you are one of those folks who um you know you know, are looking for a shorter installment, I would just say, you know, the beauty of a podcast is that you can start listening to it and you can come back to it and finish it up. Um, you know, I, I tend to listen to podcasts when I'm commuting out to my office, mm-hmm. which I've got about an hour commute. And so um, if I don't get through it all, I just listen to it on the next time I'm in the car. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but we do appreciate everybody's feedback Definitely. and suggestions. Yeah, and we, we yeah. do take it into consideration. So, yep. All right. Mm-hmm. So, there's a couple really big major things that happen. This, in this is issue a really big issue. Yeah, it's a as huge far issue. As yeah. like and, revelations know, and plot points being developed, definitely, totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's you know it's it's the it's the um, the second to last issue in what will eventually become the first Final Quest graphic novel, the which side. Yes, yes, the penultimate. I love um, that word. Which we we talked about this on the last um, the last episode. Dark Horse has officially announced that they're gathering, uh, collecting the first six issues of the Final yeah. Quest into a full color graphic novel. It's going to be out in April. Awesome. If you go onto the ElfQuest forums, there's a thread for it, um, a thread for all the new graphic novels that Dark Horse is putting out. So if you want to put your pre-order in now, and I think it's something like $16.99 um, for pre-order. So I'm not sure if it's available from TFAL yet, but um, mm. we'll, we'll check yeah, that out too. I don't too. think it is yet. I haven't seen it on there, but I know it's on Amazon. So yeah, that, that's just a shout out for that. But, but with that, uh, the reason I mentioned that is you know, this is just in the sort of storytelling, um, you know, we've kind of had this buildup of of tension and plot points. And I feel like this episode, it all kind of explodes. Yeah. And, um, you know, this entire it, this entire issue happens literally in the space of a couple of minutes. Um, and it's just crazy, crazy to think about how, yeah, how fast um, the action happens in this one after this sort of buildup to yeah. it. So, um, so, so th- I think the first major thing mm-hmm. that I want to talk about is... Tier and the the huge final revelations of who exactly his parents are, um, yes. yeah, and 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 the fallout from that. So um, so you know we left here in the last issue, mm-hmm. um, you know, being sort of <clears throat> mentally and emotionally cut off from Ember as she kind of seized up the recognition process, which is the other thing we're going to talk yes. about. But um, he falls off the cliff, he falls into the river, yep. he's getting tumbled around, and and. The last issue ended with this cliffhanger of like, okay, Ember's calling for help for Tyr, and that's where this issue picks up. Right. So, you know, Kavi appears in spirit form mm-hmm. with a bunch of her Gobeks and Tildak in spirit form, and basically helps the elves form a pod instantaneously and zip across 
you know, the ocean to go rescue Tyr. Yeah, so these spirits, and, the spirit uh, ball, I guess, of all these go-back spirits are able to form the, um, the palace pod quicker than Skywise and Sunstream normally would be able to. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's, be, you know, it's sort of presented as, um, because Kavi is actually deliberately um, sort of helping them, as opposed to them just sort of calling on the generic power of the palace to right. do it. Um, and I think the idea there is that, Kavi is just so damn strong-willed, even in death, yes. that you know she's when she sets her mind to something, she can really make stuff happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they they whisk out and they you know you, you know we see Tear, he's drowning, and there's this you know amazing interaction with Kavi's spirit, where you know it's finally really one hundred percent confirmed that Kavi is Tear's mother, mm-hmm. and you know in true. Kavi fashion, you know, Tyr is dying. And, you know, I kind of think of this, this whole scene, very similar to the scene in the original quest when Cutter is skewered by a troll and he's very near death and, and Bearclaw appears to him and they have this kind of conversation, um, you know, where, where Cutter's sort of uh, near death and, and very close to the spirit world. And he's able to have this kind of very direct conversation with Bearclaw's spirit. And it's kind of the same thing here with Tyr, where he's on the verge of drowning and Kavi is, you know, she, she kind of manifests herself to him. Um, and well, she's goading, you know, we learn... she basically goads him into surviving, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that's, and, um, that's great that you mentioned that scene with Bearclaw and Cutter, because I never thought of that. But it is uh, very similar. Yeah, um, and so I thought that was a sort of a nice sort of consistency with the way that we've seen kind of near death experiences and and these sort of more in depth conversations with spirits. Not that you have to be dying. I mean, obviously, we've seen other elves sort of commune with spirits it, at, to varying degrees. But I think, I mean, it, it even says uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's just so close to. So close is he to where she is, her spirit form ever shifting seems more real than his own pain racked body. And I think that um, I think we can interpret that as, you know, when when you are near death, um, the the spirit world becomes a lot more visible and real to you. Uh, So I thought that was kind of neat. David, I'm just just going to interrupt for a quick second. Um, uh, Wendy just posted on your Facebook post. You posted a picture of your setup for tonight for recording. Uh And Wendy just posted a comment. She said, where's the wine? (laughs) Wendy knows me way too well. (laughs) I... Okay, I I have a confession. I usually pour myself a glass of wine. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to do that before I sat down to record. So I will have to save it for my reward when we complete the show. So <laughs> well, we if you no 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 no, I'll be fine. I can survive until the end before I get my my fix. Um, <laughs> I just that's feel really very funny. meta though for some recording. People are commenting. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 I definitely, um, I got my setup, um, you know, on my, my table here where I record the show and I thought it would be kind of fun to tease the show a little bit by posting a picture to Twitter and to Facebook. And, um, I didn't get a chance to put it on the forums. I put it up on Instagram too. Yeah. So, um, oh, by the way, that's another announcement, um, that I forgot to mention at the top. ElfQuest is, uh, Richard, I'm assuming, is on Instagram now as well. So that's another place where you can get ElfQuest. It doesn't seem like he's posted very much, but it's, um, the, 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 the name is at ElfQuest Comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if, you, uh, if, you wanna, if you're on Instagram and you want to you know, sort of follow ElfQuest there, you can do that. Right. And, um, and incidentally, um, 
when I posted the picture of my podcast setup here to Instagram, I tagged Dark Horse Comics and they instantaneously liked the picture. So I think that's pretty neat. And hopefully we'll get folks from Dark Horse actually listening to an episode or two so they can really understand the depth of the crazy that ElfQuest fans can be. I really hope so. That would be great if they did kind of catch wind of this podcast and, you know, the the amount of fandom surrounding ElfQuest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I'm going to continue to tag them. And, you know, everybody listening out there, it it wouldn't hurt if you tag them as well. You know, more buzz about ElfQuest translates to, you know, just from a business point of view, from Dark Horse's point of view, into more ElfQuest products. Squeaky wheel. If they know that there's... Yeah, that's right. If they know that there's an interest out there and there's a buzz uh, in geekdom, if you will, um, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, people creating a whole podcast just for one comic series is is pretty pretty significant. I don't so, know if there is another one. I don't either. Devoted I don't specifically either. to one series. I don't know. For a comic. Yeah. yeah. We might be the only one, which would be very cool. That would be very but cool. But would also we'll speak have to, do some to research our obsession, that. which is yes. a little <laughs> crazy. But <laughs> I, 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 I totally own it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so, copy basically is like, you know, she basically goads Tyr by revealing, like, what the real story is um, about why she didn't she raise him. She abandoned her duckling. She abandoned her yeah. duckling, exactly. And, she, you know, I think she does it deliberately in a way that pisses Tyr off so that he will kind of fight well, for Well, that's life. why I said she's goading him into surviving. She knows that she's, you know, kind of twisting the knife in the wound and it's going to really piss him off and make him fight. Um, yeah, totally. and, and, it, and it works. Yeah, and the thing that I love about it is that it is so 1,000% true to Kavi's character to do something like that. You know, she basically is going to do whatever she needs to do to get done what she feels she wants to get done. And in this instance, she's decided that, you know, Tyr isn't ready, you know, Tyr's not ready to sort of pass into the spirit realm and quote unquote have it as good as she has it. And so she's basically going to say whatever she needs to do, regardless of Tyr's feelings, Mm -hmm. to make him struggle and fight and basically, you know, kind of manipulates him into anger so that he that he actually survives this scenario, which I thought was really kind of classic. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely keeping in character with uh, the kinds of things that she would do. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, so, all right, let's, let's, let's go right to the, I think potentially somewhat controversial bit that is revealed here. So Kavi essentially explains to Tyr that the reason she didn't raise Mm -hmm. him, the reason that she basically left him with, you know, some very capable tribes mates. um, So she didn't just, you know, abandon him, but um, she says that the reason that she did that was that what she was hoping for um, when she asked Winkin to give her a cub after Tildak died was another girl yes. and Tyr turned out to be a boy yeah. and she decided that mm, I'm not really interested in boys. And so I'm going to go off on my whatever next adventure, which I think is going to be her suicide yeah. mission, which we have yet to learn about. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was really kind of interesting. Yeah. And... It's something that we've never really seen in ElfQuest before. I think the only thing I can think of that comes close to that is an offhand remark by Rayek in uh, Siege of Blue Mountain, I think, when he referred to the go-back female as a ready-mouthed female, you're all like your chief or something along those lines, which right. was sort of sexist, I guess, to, right. uh, to a very small degree, right? Because he's he's uh, obviously judging 
these go back females based on their sex. Um, but nothing right. as outrageous really as this, where an elf, a female elf, Kavi, Kavi, there it is. <laughs> Every episode. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> um, she abandons her baby because it's male. Uh, so I don't think we've ever seen anything that extreme from any of the elves before. No, I don't think so either. No. And, you know, I'll admit it kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because it, it just seems so unelfy. It does. It really does. Of a thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, a little bit of a stretch when I first read yeah. it to kind of be like, eh, this doesn't really sit right. Yeah. Um, however, okay, what do you attribute say, it to? Because there has to be something, right? Well, I attribute it to the fact that, you know, Kavi can just be, you know, a really wretched individual yes. and she does whatever the hell she wants and everybody else and their feelings be damned. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I thought about it from that perspective, um, it kind of made a little bit more sense to me mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, Kavi time and time again has done things that none of the other elves will do, you know? So she, in a way she, I kind of think it's Kavi is almost like the most human of the elves in the sense that, you know, she does, she's not very touchy feely and la 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 woo woo. You know, she's, she's down to brass knuckles. She's not above manipulating. Um, sometimes she can be a villain, you know? Yeah. And so I think this is one of those moments where um, she is portrayed as doing something that is really kind of um, by the standards that Wendy had rich and Richard have set for for sort of the idealness of elfdom, mm -hmm. um, you know, she's doing something that completely flies in the face of that. And I don't think we're meant to celebrate that. I think it kind of is something that, you know, with Kavi, it's kind of like you take the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately for me, as I kind of thought about it a little bit more over the last week, I was like, all right, I can totally buy that because it is actually very much in character for Kavi. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned that scene with, um, with Rayek and, um, Mardu, I believe it was, when he slaps her in the face and makes that comment. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I think is important as you kind of interpret what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And that is that we have a long established history of Kavi kind of favoring the female go-backs. Definitely. Um, well, it, know, I mean, she always... Like over the course of the, se the series, I found that the go-back tribe itself has become depicted more and more as sort of... Um, matriarchal but in sort of a like superiority uh way uh -huh. like the, the female go-backs are sort of valued more i find like they're i i don't know how really to explain it um right you know well, what i'm I saying have, i have yeah i totally yeah. know what you're saying um and you know i mean what what we have seen essentially is that kavi always leaves um you know another female in charge and so yes. um we yeah. we we see, you know, when she first leaves the go-backs in the Kings of the Broken Wheel storyline, she leaves Orta, and I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'll have to double check on the uh, pronunciation yeah. guide. I used to say it in my head as Erda, but I think it's pronounced Orta. Okay. Um, and uh, leaves Orta in charge, and then later we see her leaving Mardu in charge. Um, we see the pressure that she put on Vaya, um, and we also see how she really tried to use um, Venka in a way, you know, sort of as a tool of power. So, For sure. Um, well, she's definitely, she seems to value females more than she values males. Right. Um, and so, so here's where the forums um, can be so much fun because people are really chewing on this in, yeah. the, uh, in the, the thread on the forums. Exactly. And, I saw the word uh, misandrous being thrown around yeah, a bit it, and, uh, and 
sexist. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, um, somebody made a really interesting comment that actually makes a lot of sense okay. to me and um, it helped me kind of put this this development in a little bit of perspective. And that is that, you know, we know that go back females can basically kind of breed at will. Yes. Um, how much so they, how much they can control that. I'm not really sure, but um, if it's something that they're doing or if it's something that maybe they just have like a regular cycle where the other female elves don't, I don't know. But, um, but somebody pointed out that in, in sort of go back warrior culture, it's all about, producing babies and replacing yourself. And from that point of view, I could see Kavi valuing females more because, you know, in theory, you only need a couple males right. um, you know, to make sure that you got a steady stream of baby go back warriors being born. Right. And so that's, a, that, that made a lot of sense to that me. That does make that, a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So like because of their environment and their, their culture, really, uh, their requirements, mm-hmm. the demands upon their tribe because of their environment and their culture that, females would be highly valued over males just because of that ability to produce offspring. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I'm going with that because I think, again, that it makes a lot of sense and it kind of explains how, you know, a character, a manipulative, bossy, opinionated character like Kavi, though she's an elf Mm -hmm. and elves are fairly egalitarian and they don't really have sexism. Um, I think this is almost like the elf quest version of sexism. Um, it's different than the real world, but it's kind of like it's how it, it's that, that issue cropping it, up. Yeah, here. it really um, it is interesting, and it's interesting that it's being depicted as coming from a female towards a male too, right? Because you yeah, would expect is, it to be the opposite, right? Mm. Yeah. So there's an, a, an interesting little twist on kind of a real life issue. Um, whether or not Wendy and Richard intended no, it that way, I don't yeah. know. But here's um, what I but, yeah. I was thinking though, as far as this situation was concerned, this was sort of a theory or idea that popped into my head was that given her um, past and her uh, ancestry, now whether or not this is canonical or not, I'm not sure. But there's conjecture, of course, through the Kavi miniseries that um, Two Spear was her father, right? right? Possibly Grey Wolf. But in any event. She was raised as though she was Two Spears' daughter, correct? Yeah. Right. So she saw a male in power who was um, who abused his power, who was tyrannical and um, and crazy. Um, so mm-hmm. that might have colored her uh, her you know um, impression of males and her her. Yeah her thinking of of gender relations as far as you know her tribe and and leading her tribe maybe she on some deep psychological level she's still wounded by the treatment she received at the hands of her father and the the way the tribe was treated and so she's um uh, you know working against that by it's sort of a defense mechanism that she has by being sexist towards males yeah, I mean, that, I think that 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 theory makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I don't know if ultimately that um, that miniseries, um, either the Kavi miniseries or the Two Spear miniseries, will be viewed as canon since with the advent of the final quest and Wendy and Richard kind of taking the entire ElfQuest mythos back under their own arms. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we, th- we've seen that they've not been scared of kind of tweaking things and, um, you know, to make it work for how they want to tell the story. But until we hear anything otherwise, I, I consider those stories canon as they were originally presented. So yeah, absolutely. And, and two spear Mm -hmm. is a character that, um, was really mostly developed in the blood of 10 chiefs 
anthologies um and then that made its way into that comic those two comic miniseries and um and yeah i mean if there's if there is a sexist elf yeah it's two spear yeah uh, the way that he he treats willow green mm-hmm. um is really depicted as very you know sort of human-like um just this real kind of asshole character mm-hmm. who um you know is just treats well he treats everybody kind of like garbage but it seems like he's got a special um disdain for weak females which is what he sees willow green as which is odd because they are uh you know life mates and so well, anyway, now that's, in, that, that's interesting because then that could uh Kavi could be mirroring that exact same behavior but in reverse right, right. so she's yeah. she's uh repeating the sins of the father right which is is you know interestingly how this thing tends to be in real life too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's this whole idea that you're kind of taught to hate whatever your bigotry flavor is. Um, usually you learned it from your parents or the people that were around you. And right. so whether it's, um, it's conscious or unconscious, mm-hmm. um, that could be something that's going on with copy mm-hmm. too. I mean, who knows? And a, di- a disdain um, for weak females or perceived weak females um, might be reflected in copy as well, right? Where she has this uh, insatiable urge to raise strong daughters. Oh, totally. I mean, I think you can see that. And I mean, just look at the way that Krim sort of worships and idolizes Kavi. I mean, I think Krim is like the epitome of a Kavi acolyte. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, you know she's like exactly what Kavi wants yes. in all of her, you know, female, um, you know, tribes. People. Yeah. You know, she wants them to be bold and brash and warrior like and to hell with it mm-hmm. all kind of like mm-hmm. she is. And so. Um, so, yeah, I think that that uh, that definitely is. I think a valid theory, you know, here's another thing that just popped into my Mm -hmm. head is, and this is one of the really cool things about ElfQuest having been around for so long. And, um, you know, as new stories come out, sometimes the, you know, it changes the way that you, you know, kind of read and interpret the past stories. And so as we're talking about this, I hadn't thought about Zay before, you know, Zay was the go back that assumed the chieftainship when Kavi went on her mission to go get the little palace and ended up getting stuck in the, um, in the sun village for, for many mm-hmm. years. And, um, Oh wait, no, I take no, it back. I take that back. I'm wrong. Yeah. Zay took over when Kavi went to hunt Rayek and got trapped in, uh, in the new land with the wolf riders for probably, I don't know, 30 years or so. Um, and then she went back with Tildak and came to find that Orda, who she had left in charge had been killed by right. trolls and Zay took That's over. Right. And so, um, of course, I mean, Zay does not um, fare very well in the long run. Kavi ends up stabbing him right through. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that adds it. It makes me kind of want to go back and reread all of that. And, um, and you know, through this new light of how maybe we perceive Kavi's attitude towards well, males. Well, Kavi's history is so convoluted. There's so many different stories that uh, and adventures that she's gone on. It's hard to keep track of everything. Like when, yeah, when she was in the new land and then when she went back to the go backs and then she's like, right. for Winnowill, it's a, yeah, it's hard to keep track of all of that. I'm really looking forward though to hopefully, um, we're going to see this in the final quest. I'm, I'm sure we will, but you know, it's, but mm-hmm. the um, story of her death, right. And, and her, yeah, I mean, her encounter with Larrigan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that we're not going to get that at some point. It might even be in the yeah, next issue. Who be. knows? But right. um, now that, now that but, yeah. back in the story, right. It would be a good time to kind of get that, that uh, tale. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, but I w- the other yes, thing, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, we, we get a little bit more clear explanation of 
of the, you know, sort of the change in Tyr's backstory, yes, um, was, what we thought was, was true. what I was going to discuss as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're um, on the same wave. So, yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's addressed. It's not necessarily, you know, sort of, it might kind of fall into that retcon category, which that doesn't bother me at all. Um, but at least there's sort of a logical explanation with it that, you know, she decided that she didn't want him for whatever reason, which we've just talked about. And she left him with, you know, some, some of her, uh, you know, tribes folk who she felt were really capable. And she even gives a nod out to Tyr's dad, who was especially capable, which I interpret to mean that, um, you know, he sort of had this magical animal bonding skill that he ended up you know, sort of passing on to tear. Right. Um, actually, actually, wait, now that I say that, yes. now that I say that, mm-hmm. um, obviously this guy was not tears, biological dad. No. So the idea that he passed magic onto him isn't probably accurate, no. but this, this actually totally validates a theory of mine that, um, that tear has magic. But if you recall when tear is introduced, yes. He didn't really even perceive it as magic. He thought it was just a skill that was taught to him by his father and that he could teach Ember. And so I kind of interpret this as this guy having a really amazing ability, like tracking ability and stillness and way of sort of mimicking the way of being of animals that – you know, can put them at ease. And and this is something that in the real world is, is an actual skill that expert hunters, you know, typically from hunter gatherer uh, type cultures, you know, there are individuals who have abilities like this. Mm-hmm. And so my thought is that Tyr's adoptive dad had that kind of ability and was able to teach some of that to Tyr. And that's where you see him kind of manipulating his body in the hidden year storyline uh, to sort of mimic the way that an animal moves and, and put them at comfort and exactly what Ember was so horrible at doing um, and was unable to learn it, at least in those initial lessons. Right. And at the same time, Tyr had this magical ability that even he didn't really understand or recognize kind of bubbling under the surface to actually kind of be like an animal bonder, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that we get this explanation here kind of backs up that theory, I think. Yeah, it does. That, that would work. Um... What's interesting to me about this, though, and I don't know if this is a red count or not, but I can't tell whether or not they're still in the frozen mountains here or if they're on the plains. Because when Tyr was first introduced, um, his backstory was that he was raised on the plains, right? And there were stories from his tribe's people about um, coming from the north after... Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a rift, um, which was obviously the the rift that Rayek had made um, that separated half of the Gobak tribe from the other. And so then these um, these nomads eventually made their way into the new land where they become became plains dwellers. But it looks like from this page here where we see Kavi um, retelling what had happened, um, that they're in a go a go-back lodge. And she, re- she specifically says when, when you'd barely seen your first ice crustings, I gave you mm-hmm. to tribe, tribe folks. So that would sort of imply that they were still in the frozen mountains. Yeah. And so, um, there's no reason in my mind that the, that this, you know, 
group of go-backs or, you know, sort of latter-day go-backs, if you will, um, couldn't have migrated. I mean, Tyr is hundreds of years old, so if not thousands. So, I mean, this could have happened a long time ago, and they could have left right after Kavi did for whatever reason and ultimately ended up on the plains, which is where, you know, Tyr would have grown up and probably wouldn't have even remembered the frozen north. Um, so... That's my take on yeah. it. I mean, that said, that 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 lodge could be anywhere. Yeah, it, you know, that could be built into a hillside, you know, sort of on the edge of the plain somewhere, and um, you know, and winters happen, you know, not just in the no, frozen north, and yeah, that's also I think more of a figure of speech mm-hmm. uh, that that someone like Kavi would use, who is has spent most of her life in the frozen north, yeah. meaning just like you know, before you saw your first year, before you were one year old, uh, the figure of speech being, you know, first ice crusting. But I mean, who knows? Um, I don't know if we'll ever get, you know, more detail about that. Um, but to me, you know, I, I don't see any issue with these these particular elves, you know, being becoming nomadic and migrating out of the frozen north. You know, maybe Kavi left them and they were like, you know what, screw this. We've been stuck up here forever. Let's, you know, let's go off. And you, you very much from the original telling in Hidden Years get the idea that um, they're kind of like a, like you said, like a nomadic, um, you know, that, that, that they're sort of doing something different than the go-backs as we have seen them before. Right. Um, and that maybe there are splinter tribes and maybe this one group, including Tyr's adoptive parents, just decided that they were going to leave. We know that some of the go-backs obviously still stayed in the frozen north, but um so I think that there's enough there that it, it all kind of pieces together and makes sense. Potentially, yeah. I'm just thinking that when that rift happened that Rayek made, Kavi was, on the, Kavi was on the opposite side of it, and they were separated from each other. So how she would have gotten around to these folks somehow, you know? She'd have well, to... I mean, I, think, I don't think the, the rift couldn't have been more than you know, a mile or something. So they, they, they probably just walked around it eventually. Yeah, But then I, I don't understand why they would be split off and eventually become plains dwellers really. You know what I mean? Like it, from that storyline, it seemed to me like they were separated and there was no way they could get back to the lodge. So they became nomadic and eventually wandered and found their way into the new land where they became plains dwellers. But yeah, I mean, this is all really like kind of up in the air as far as that's concerned you know what happened during the 10,000 years that the wolf riders were sleeping so yeah I mean I think these kind of memories um, oftentimes too just like in the real world uh, with oral traditions you know stories are told and you know sort of factual details can morph and and things like that and I think I you know when I when I read the tears telling of his backstory in hidden years Mm -hmm. it very much had that flavor of sort of like yeah, you know, this is sort of what I've been told, what has been passed down, and and so yeah, he could be referring to the fact that yeah, there was this huge rift in the distant past, thousands of years ago, and um, you know, some people split off. I mean, maybe this is a splinter group of of those go backs that Kavi found, you know, five thousand years later. Yeah, it's, you know? it's possible, exactly. Um, so it, it sort of lends credence to the fact too, when um, in the original hidden years, which we're now, I'm not even sure if that is. Um, like his story that he told was canonical or not, but um, where his mother and his brothers left and it seemed like the family mm-hmm. relations weren't really that close as far as uh, his family was concerned. So, um, yeah. And that's, that's what I was meaning. You know, it seems like this, th- these are sort of a kind of a latter day go back, like an offshoot of the tribe that developed and maybe, yeah, maybe there for whatever reason, food or, you know, maybe there was uh 
who knows what was going on. I mean, there could be an infinite uh, number of stories that could be told that would explain why these you know, little pockets of elf families kind of came and went and whatever. Yeah. Um, but somehow Tyr so, ended up on the plains, right, at some point. So, yeah, however and it sounds happened, like that's where he spent most of, most of his yeah. life. Right. Well, see, so that's what I would like to know, hopefully, in this story. Like, how did he end up on the plains? How did that happen, you know? Yeah, and and again, I have no idea if we'll actually no. get that story. The way that it's presented here mm -hmm. um, really would in, indicate to me that we're not really going to dive any more deeply into it, but who knows? But there was know? always the implication that there were others on the plains. There were other elves, wandering right. elves, uh, these nomadic plains dwellers. So, I mean, I don't know if that still yeah. stands or not, but you know, maybe they'll encounter them, which actually could yeah. connect to the very end of this issue. It, it absolutely could. It absolutely could because, well, we'll, we'll get to that. But, um, well, actually, no. Why don't we just talk about it? We're not going page by page. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the issue ends with, you know, we, we, yeah, the huge cliffhanger. You know, we're, we're finally going to find out what is up at the top of the mountains that Corbasi's people, the, the long riders, have this mythology about, about this quote unquote safe place that has something to do with the spirits, the good spirits. Right. And so um, who knows what the hell's up there? I have no idea. Um, well, in the Wild Hunt stories, we got all, there was a bit of um, foreshadowing, at least for some sort of elfin tribe. Um, there were statues of winged elves. And the long right. riders had stories about elves living on the mountain, but they seemed to have wings. There was somebody named Adarak, uh, right. the nine pinioned wing. Um, so right. I don't know what that's referring to, but there seems like there's this uh, tradition amongst the long riders of um, spirits or elves uh, living in the mountains. Totally, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this you know, the theory that maybe these are, um, these, if there is some sort of elf presence up in the mountains there, um, you know, this is not that far from the plains where, um, Howling Rock was, where they first encountered Tyr. You know, it's obviously somewhere in the general vicinity within, you know, a few days ride because, um, the Jun is, is obviously able to, to, to get there on horseback, you know, and, you know, maybe it's a few weeks ride, who knows, but still it's, it's, it's definitely close enough for there to be a connection there. The other theory is that, you know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's Auric, um, egg, and maybe he has set up camp there before he goes back to blue mountain. Um, like we see him in the, uh, the future quest stories, um, and maybe he'll make an actual reappearance and be pulled back into, um, the, the story, which I think would actually be super okay, awesome. Now that's a really uh, good theory because now that I'm thinking of that, that you said that we have these carvings in the rock, which would suggest either a human made it as Corbasi said, right? He said, these marks look man-made or it could mm -hmm. potentially be a rock shaper who made them. It, it right? could and be. Orek I mean, I is a rock that... shaper. Yeah, but I, I, I agree that they look human made. And if you follow the, you know, the, what you were just saying that the long riders have this sort of mythology, um, you know, perhaps if it is Auric or some other elves up there, then, um, you know, they certainly could have carved those as guideposts to go up there. You know what this makes me think of too? It really gives the same sense of mystery that we had when Cutter and Skyways were on the original quest. And, they were getting all these clues about Blue Mountain, and it was like 
they've got to be elves, but maybe they're not elves. What are they? What's going to happen when they get there? Yeah. And so um, it'll be really, really interesting to see the next issue and see what happens. And I'm praying that Wendy and Richard are not so cruel as to completely cut to someplace else, like back to Cutter's tribe for the entire next issue and leave this cliffhanger hanging for yet another oh, that issue. that would be brutal, but I wouldn't put it back. I could totally them. see them doing it. <laughs> so could I. They're devious, um, devious people. Um, yeah. But the other thing, though, that points me towards Oreck is this comment that I believe Tyr says when they're in the pod and they're flying up to the top of the mountain. I, I'm pretty sure it's Tyr says Ember look. And then Ember says, I'm, I'm certain this is Ember, says by the halls of Blue Mountain, which is an oath that I don't think we've ever heard any of the wolf riders or elves say before. So totally, to yeah. specifically single out Blue Mountain in this oath would suggest that it has some connection to Blue Mountain, whatever they're seeing on the top of the mountain. Yeah, that's actually, I didn't even think about that, but super awesome observation there because that is just the kind of little hint and clue that Wendy and Richard would stick into the story that is seemingly kind of meaningless. It's just like a random oath, but um, that could be a really big hint that they put in there. I mean, it's kind of like Dushine's conversation with Tyr back in the Final Quest special. Mm -hmm about family and, yes. and, you know, and all of that. And so, um, and doesn't Adirak, which was this word, uh, a name that the long riders re were using for one of these spirits on the mountain. I think it was Kulki's mountain was what it was called, but, um, right. that sort of sounds like Orek, right. Uh, and it could Adirak, be a, a right. human, um, interpretation, a human language or long rider language interpretation of right. Orek of the name. Hmm. Hmm. Now my wheels are spinning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, hopefully we will yeah. find out in in uh, issue six what's going on. Yeah. With that. Well, well. Is it which, quite the cliffhanger? Yeah. Which November will be here before you know it, everyone. Yeah. Um. So, um. So, all right. Well, there's a couple other things that I wanted to mention well, about. Um, I, as far I just wanted to mention the art as far as uh, the the Kavi tier encounter. Um. I uh -huh. I really love uh, the color that. Sunny used here. It's all in tones of blues and violets. Um, uh -huh. It's really great just for kind of depicting this watery environment, but also the the spirit realm as well. Um, Kavi looks great. Uh, I I love um, her face on the first page. There, it's the uh, montage of of Tear where mm -hmm. he encounters her, and suddenly she appears and she calls him Duckling. Um, yeah. Yeah, and where does that come from, Duckling? I took that to mean because of his, who his father is, and what his father. So, did. yeah, and and I think some folks on the forums had noted that too. I take it as a word choice that uh, that was picked to sort of reinforce this idea that, like a baby bird, tear kind of imprinted on on Kavi, and that has you know sort of uh, to his you know to. It, it, it's the source of so much of his, you know, character's angst and issues is the fact that he, from this very early age, had this kind of um, very strong bond with Kavi. And so that uh, when she left him, she unwittingly caused his, like, you know, lifelong set of issues. And, um, and you know, I mean, in, in, here's my me wearing my naturalist hat. Imprinting is kind of what happens on uh, many, many birds, particularly... Um, birds that have precocial young like ducks and that means that the babies hatch out of the egg and are pretty much ready to walk around and kind of feed themselves mm -hmm. 
versus being trapped in the nest for the parents to feed them. And it's a behavior that um, has evolved that allows those babies to instantly recognize and bond with their parents so that they know who they need to be following for protection. And so I think that's probably why they chose that that specific term of endearment. and, you know, why Kavi might actually have specifically chosen it herself. It, it might even be a conscious thing on her part and not just the, you know, Wendy and Richard's writing. That's that's kind of how I interpreted yeah. it. But there's certainly the bird connection. And um, and since Winkin is his dad, yeah. that's the other big, huge bomb that was dropped in this mm-hmm. issue, um, what which was also hinted at. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was the other thing. Well, I, I, actually, before we get to that, I, I, I want to agree with you that the art on these panels and the, on these couple pages is really awesome, particularly, you know, Kavi. I mean, she just looks perfectly Kavi. And on the next page, the big splash page that in the bottom right hand corner with that, you know, sort of, you know, direct frontal view with her sparkly eyes. Yes. I mean, it's just amazing and and tear up in the corner of that same page is really rendered in a really sort of elegant um beautiful style Um, that's very again reminiscent of wendy's sort of pen and ink and pencil work back from the original quest it's that fine uh pen work yeah it's great yeah and what's interesting though is that the kavi spirit that bridges this splash page is done in a little bit more of a cartoony style um and uh it's uh, I don't know if that was a deliberate thing or if that's just how Wendy drew it on that particular day, but uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting contrast. Um, what I will say is um, on the previous page, I found that uh, tear in the top right corner, um, his his uh, face pic there, um, he looked, I remember when I saw this when the preview first came out, I thought it was Will for half a second. Oh my God, that's really interesting. Yeah, he just, to me in that, in that just in that one image, he looks a bit too feminine. Or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we see his eyelashes, and we, you know, he's got a, kind of a small nose, and so yeah, it threw um, me off when I first saw that in the preview. I thought, what, Winnowill? And then I looked. Oh, oh right. it's here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, I, the fact that it's underwater could, you know, make your mind think of Winnowill. And the dark hair. The other too. thing. That's what I was going to say. The way that you know they're underwater, yeah. and so everything is kind of a few shades darker, including Tear's hair, which is brown. It's really the same color as Kavi's hair. Um, but underwater, Sonny has kind of portrayed it a little bit more blue-black, yeah. which could also immediately make your mind think of Winnow Will, because when we see black hair, we think of Winnow Will or Ray. Exactly. Right? Um, yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, speaking of Tears looks yep. and the revelation that Winkin is indeed his father, mm-hmm. I have always thought that Tear and Winkin actually looked alike. And it really makes me wonder... Um, you know, how far back yeah. this well, goes, we know, you know, is this something we know that they originally, yeah, that's exactly, go ahead, sorry. that's exactly right. Like how far back did it go? Was this an original, uh, was this the intention of Wendy and Richard from the get go? Um, or, um, Joel and Oklandis, right? Mm-hmm. She wrote, she was the one who developed tier, was she not? Yeah, I believe she created, um, tier. Um, and, um, and I don't know who, Actually, no, I take it back. I do know. Steve Blevins actually created the, 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 the character design for him. So uh, Joellen created the character, probably with a lot of input from Wendy. And, um, and then similarly, Steve Blevins, again, probably with some input from Wendy, developed the actual 
um, character design. And so I don't know. It might just be a fluke. But if you look at Winkin and you look at Tyr, they both have kind of high cheekbones. They both have kind of smallish um, sort of upturned noses. They've got a kind of a square jawline. They've both got brown hair, although their hair color and um, is very different. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Winkin obviously has curly hair, uh, which he got from his mother. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if it was something that kind of was evolved as the character's backstory was really um, developed after he was created, there's an uncanny resemblance from the beginning. And I, I wonder if that even, if it wasn't something that was, you know, initially planned when they created him, yeah. if that, that physical... Uh, similarity to both Winkin and Kavi because Tyr looks like Kavi too. Like I said, he's got the same color hair and he's got those eyebrows. It's the same eyebrows that Vaya had. It's the same eyebrows that Venka has. Yes. Um, I mean, there. It's like, you know, it's all right there. Well, if you go back as far as the 2001 recognition special, um, that was the first implication that we ever had that Tyr could potentially be Kavi's son, right? Because the braids were. Um, introduced in that storyline and so for the right. last then 13 years we've sort of had this conjecture uh, and debate as to you know who his mother was um, but there's also a panel in that recognition special um, and it's the flashback scene where Kavi's leaving which was sort of redrawn in issue number one by Wendy um, right. there is a silhouette of a male character behind Kavi and if you go and look at that that could be Winkin because the hair is Winkin's hair. Oh my God, you're you're totally right. So it, you're it's totally right. Potentially, as far back as 2001, they made the decision that Winkin and Kavi were Tyr's parents. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case because you know, with a recognition story that you know first came out all the way back then, they obviously would have known where that story was going before they even began publishing right. it. So I think you're absolutely right. I think that that image was probably um, meant to indicate Winkin. I think so. And, and you know, and, and then since that, that series as a standalone was never mm -hmm. finished um, and was now incorporated into this first story arc of the final quest, uh, we've learned that that Tyr or that Winkin actually was not there, um, would not have been present, but um which is why probably Wendy didn't draw him in the same way that it was drawn originally by Brandon McKinney. But um, yeah, totally. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty certain that, that, you know, Tyr was created by Joellen Auklandis and Steve Blevins back in the nineties. I don't know if this was always meant to be his, his parentage and his backstory, um, or if that evolved a little bit later when they wrote the recognition storyline, which also was written um, by Joe Allen with Wendy. That's so, what I'm guessing. I think that the initial creation of Tear was that by Joe Allen and Steve was that he was just a, an offshoot of these go-backs, these wandering go-backs. Um, and then Wendy and Richard picked that up and decided to make him the child of Winkin and Kavi. Yeah, that's my guess too, but I guess we'll never know unless Wendy unless, and Richard tell unless, us. Yeah. And they generally don't tell us things like no. that. So, sometimes, um, so, go ahead. No, no, I just said sometimes they do. Sometimes yeah. they do, if we're very, very lucky and they're feeling yeah. generous. Um, uh, oh, I just had a thought and it has completely oh, escaped my head, um, but I'm sure it will come back to me and I'll say it when that happens. Um, uh, but so as far as Winkin is concerned, so 
let's talk about that. So, Kavi uh, didn't have a child with Tildak for some reason, um, and decided the next best the next best thing was to uh, have have a kid with uh, Tildak's son, Winkin. So this obviously happened after Tildak died, right? Right. Yeah. So that and that's actually part of what I was going to say. So thank you for okay, jogging my my poor overcrowded yeah. brain. So yeah. So. You know, some folks have been asking, well, if Kavi wanted a, a, a kid with Tildak so bad, why didn't she just have one? Mm-hmm. Um, why did she wait? And I think the answer to that is that she didn't. You know, I mean, she, Kavi, you know, lives in the moment and probably never even thought about it. And it probably wasn't until Tildak was dead that she finally, you know, that that, that event probably had more of an impact on her than pretty much anything else in her long, long, long life. Um, it clearly led her to go on the suicide mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's been hinted at and, and almost flat out said. So, um, so it, it, again, it doesn't, I don't have any problem understanding that, um, you know, it doesn't seem like a weird thing to me that she wouldn't have had just had the kid with Tildak directly. It wasn't until after he was gone where she made the decision, you know what, let me have one last, you know, kid and see if I can, you know, have this, you know, sort of girl child that I, you know, really envision in my brain, and um, and t- and Winkin is present, and he's the next best thing. So let's make it happen. And um, so that seems to be what happened there. Right. Um, what I was going to say is, again, I know some folks have they don't like the interconnectivity of the characters and having so many characters actually be interrelated. Yeah. And I think again that that is a fair criticism. Um, but it doesn't particularly bother me, um, especially when you think about the fact that there are so few of these characters that they, you know, that there's just not that many of them. No. And, um, there, while there certainly can be un, unnamed and unknown elves or tribes out there, um, it doesn't, it doesn't stretch my imagination very far to imagine that over the course of thousands of years, some of these characters would interact and run into each other and, and be related. Yeah. And I think the key though with all of this is that it wasn't, it's not just, they're like, Oh, let's do this. You know, I think, I think that would be sort of shoddy storytelling, Mm -hmm. right? If they were like, Oh, let's like, you know, and I think that happens a lot in comics. I think in, especially like superhero comics where they're really kind of desperate for the next storyline and what are we going to do this character now that's been around for, you know, 50 years, they invent these new things and retcon them in and just do it just to do it. That's not, at all what's happening here. The, I think the whole entire point of this development and making Tyr the child of these other two well-established characters that go all the way back to the beginning is the idea that you know Tyr is so shattered because he's always felt abandoned and alone and not having any family suddenly turns out to be one of the characters that has the most family connections of them all. Exactly. And right? on that note, I just want to quickly go over his family tree for a second. Because okay. I, I wrote it out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> um, all right. So, Tyr is the son of Kavi and Winkin, which makes him the grandson of Dushine and Tildak. Yep. Which makes him the great-grandson of Tree Stump and Rillfisher. Um, and on his mother's side, potentially the grandson of two spear. Right. Yeah. Um, and not only that, he is also the half brother of Venka and and Baya 
and potentially others, right? Definitely others, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, knowing Kavi. Um, and then so he's also related, and this is specifically said by Cutter and Ember and, and Lita, um, but he's related to Ember and Cutter um, distantly, but he's a cousin. Right. Through Dushine and Tree Stump. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, this loner totally... who's for his entire existence believed himself to be completely alone and without family and was abandoned um, mm -hmm. by, if that's canonical again, by his mother and brother. And then his father died and he was alone for thousands of years or hundreds of years. Uh, it finds out that, like you said, he is actually related to a whole slew of um of characters that are near and dear to our hearts. Right. And I think, I think kind of the message that I think Wendy and Richard are trying to make there is just that, you know, even if you think you're alone, you, 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 you might not be. And, you know, that whether or not you're blood related, you know, in a way almost doesn't even matter. I mean, in tears case, it makes a difference for him to kind of connect the dots, but that, um, you know, you kind of choose your family and, and that's what's important is surrounding people, surrounding yourself with, you know, people that love and care about you yeah. and that he finally has that. And even better, he actually is, you know, by bloodline related to these people. You know um, what's crazy? The other thing. Uh, no, go say. Yeah. No, no, you got. You go OK, first. I just thought of this, too. In Hidden Years, uh, there was an, a comment by Moonshade when they first encountered Tyr, where she said that Tyr reminded her of. Wolf Riders like Long Branch and Bear Claw, right? Who were kind of like a bit of a throwback uh, as far as Wolf uh -huh. Riders are concerned. But Tyr actually is related to Bear Claw, at least. Well, Ooh. no, he would be no. Would he not only, be only? No, only by by marriage to use that term. He would be related to Joyleaf. You're right. Yeah, Joyleaf okay. would be his great aunt, or right? Yes, but. Not through. No, he great great yes, aunt. Yes, she would be right. Okay, yeah. Um, but not directly. No. To not directly. Well, actually, okay, and th and this is why I I, I have <laughs> so a limited. Yeah, a limited patience <laughs> to really get into all this family tree and backstory, yeah. and 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 why I think Wendy and Richard do too, yeah. um, because it can be really distracting Definitely. and confusing when you're talking about characters that live for thousands of years and time jumps and all of that. Mm. Because yes. Tyr is related to, um, by bloodline, to um, to Bearclaw. And that's because he is the great-grandson of Two-Spear. Yes. No, he's the grandson he's of Two-Spear. He's the grandson, yeah. Right. So he wouldn't and Two-Spear would have been basically like a, an uncle to the seventh degree or whatever to Bearclaw. Right, right. I mean, they're all technically related to each other somehow. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, oh. um, I, you know, I think it's like, it's fun to, to do this like to a degree yeah. and then it gets really confusing and distracting, at least for me. I know other fans out there obsess over the family trees yeah. and, and whatever, but I think the broad brushstroke is that, you know, tears suddenly, you know, after having hundreds of years of angst and, and whatever other term, psychological distress term you want to apply mm -hmm. to him, um, because he has never felt like he had a family and because he has always felt abandoned, um, suddenly is surrounded by family. Right. And it's kind of a, a neat thing. The thing that I was going to say, though, is that I also wonder, too, if this is um, another one of those autobiographical moments that Wendy and Richard put in ElfQuest, 
um, Wendy has has shared publicly that she was adopted. And I don't know, I don't know if she, if any of these feelings that Tear has are things that maybe she felt um, as a child mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, not knowing, you know, your birth parents or whatever, um, and then suddenly coming to realize that you do have family and that it's important, like what's important is the love and the people you surround yourself with. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's there, but that's another thing that that struck me that this this um, this development in the story again wasn't just a willy nilly like oh let's do something with Tyr let's make him Kavi and Winkins kid. Yeah. There was a real purpose in it, definitely from the storytelling perspective, definitely from the message that they're trying to communicate the real life messages and and perhaps even a little bit of this autobiographical um, thing that Wendy and Richard put into ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I mean writers and writers write what they know right and you're right Wendy and Richard have both said many times that uh, much of their work is autobiographical so um, like they're putting things in to the story that actually happened to them or that you know in in sort of the uh, through the lens of ElfQuest um, totally fantasy yeah yeah, so it's 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 a a possibility. Um, yeah. I noticed on the forums there was a lot of people. I've heard this before too, where they're saying, "Oh, so they're related to each other," and like that's you know a bit like creeps people out or makes them feel weird. But yes, and Wendy's made this point too. These are aliens. They're not human beings. Their genetics don't work the same way that ours do, yes. and they're not. I mean, as far as Tear and Ember are concerned, they're not closely related. They're they're cousins but they're removed many times right so but they're they're not human beings they're not they don't they wouldn't suffer the same like inbred genetic uh, maladies that human beings would who are related to each other um they they're not us so and i mean if you they're i don't know if this actually is true or not but i i think it is originally the intention was for moonshade and strongbow to be mother and son yeah so i mean that might have been pushing it yeah i'm like i'm glad that they didn't go there but that just speaks to how alien these beings are right they they're not human beings they they don't have the same genetics that we do if they have genes at all who knows what they have right exactly yeah. yeah and i think that um you know again from that storyteller perspective you know, ElfQuest is really great because it's sort of based on a foundation of science, but it doesn't lock itself in in a very rigid fashion to hardcore science in like like maybe like a hard science fiction would. Exactly. Um, you know, I think I think the science fiction in ElfQuest is, you know, tends to it's it's more on the lighter it's side, a bit broader. And, yeah, 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 and and it, you know that's where the fantasy element comes exactly. in because you know you can create these characters that that do have this this ability to operate outside of the rules of the real world. Yep. And, and, and it's that balance in ElfQuest that I actually think is one of its strengths. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be exactly scientifically accurate according to exactly how things happen in the real world. Yet at the same time, there it, it's sort of hung on a framework of how science helps us understand the real world. So I think that's kind of, but that fits it. into the science of science fiction too, right? You could say, well, scientifically these alien beings don't, have the same genetic makeup that human beings do so therefore you know based on their science of their biology this works for them 
Totally. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about Wayne Kemp. Okay. And um, all I and have his to say comely butt. is, and <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, there's quite a few butt shots in this uh, issue as well. I love right? it. I Wendy's, love so, yeah. I mean, Wendy's really uh, taken with his uh, gluteus maximus. <laughs> I know. I love it. And and you're probably you, you knew what I was going to say because I actually posted a screenshot of Winkin's butt when he's rescuing Tyr from the water. Yeah. I mean, it's like. A total gratuitous ass shot. <laughs> totally. And I love every second of it. It's hilarious, especially since in you know the episode kicks off or the issue kicks off with Kavi telling Winkin that he's got a comely butt. And then we see it like in full display and Sonny like expertly colored it and then you know the the roundness of it and everything. I just I when I saw that I had to laugh and post about it. Of, yeah. You know, this this is a little bit off topic, but there was a bit of uh an issue recently with the Spider Woman comic cover. Oh yeah. yeah and yeah. The, it, she was in a position where her butt was displayed and it was gratuitous and a lot of people were, you know, calling it sexist and so on. This, yeah. That picture of Winkin should be the response as the this is how uh, the male <laughs> form is is depicted, in, right? Yeah, no, I well, I think the Spider Woman example was it, it you know way way more extreme than yeah, this, yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, for 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 the the giggles part of it, yes. Well, let's make Winkin. <laughs> this is the answer yes. to uh, to Spider Woman's you know porn position. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So. Um, so yeah, so speaking of Winkin, um, I loved the scene towards the end after all the rescues are over and they're standing in the glow of the palace pod. And um, and this is another thing too that you know some fans are like, wait, why didn't they talk about it before? And you know, Winkin's like, this happened. I you know I, I Kavi wanted a baby. We did it. You know until that happened, and then I left, and I haven't really thought about it. And that was hundreds or thousands of okay, years ago. Okay, Winkin forgot who his mother was almost, didn't he? Right. He, he had to be well, reminded that... who Dushine was. He was like, uh, yeah, who? Mean... Oh, yeah, Dushine. Right. So, right. like, the fact that he forgot Tyr is not really that strange to me. Yeah, well, he never even knew who he never well, that's even it. Knew yeah. yeah. You know, and that's how the last issue started with Winkin, you know, flying into the palace because he just finally was like, you know what, I wonder whatever happened to that kid. And that's why he flew in and asked Moonshade, what happens to the spirits of the dead? Because he wanted to see if Kavi was around to be able to ask yeah. her. And like he says, she answered me with you, you know, by, by, you know, whisking them away and including Winkin to go rescue Tyr. Well, I think he just forgot um, the, about that entire incident altogether. And then it was just triggered by being in the palace. He, and coming back to the Wolf Riders and remembering Dushine, like something triggered his memory. Oh yeah, I have a, I, I might have a child somewhere. Right. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, he he was probably down in the troll caverns with Tree Stump and Dushine and Audrey, or Tree Stump and Clearbrook and Audrey, and just hanging out. And who knows? Maybe he had a conversation with one of them that jogged his memory of this. And you know, and he was and he was curious. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't need to know that exact backstory. All we need to know is that it popped into his brain, and it coincided with this event where Tyr was in life-threatening danger, and they needed to go rescue him and. You know, he's there asking Kavi, like, what's, you know, trying to reach Kavi. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's, you know, that's Winkin reaching out to Kavi is what made her pay attention and be present at the exact moment that Ember called for help for Tyr. You know, it all kind of, all those dots kind of connected. And how um, about the amazing foreshadowing done from the special when yeah. you had 
uh, Dushine and Tyr talking to each other. And yeah. she says specifically to him that uh, he reminded her of her son, Winkin. And they talk about Winkin totally. for a while. And then this, you find out this is what I'm talking Dushine about. is Winkin's grandmother. Which is also crazy just in the sense that... Tyr's grandmother. Right, I'm sorry, yes, Tyr's grandmother. That Dushine is a grandmother now? Wow. How <laughs> far we've come since the original quest, right? When Dushine totally. was a teenager and, yeah, crazy. Right? But yeah. Well, she is like, you know, 500 yeah, plus, so, I, you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, on that page, uh, I also want to call out the the art. I mean, Tyr in particular is just rendered so beautifully and, you know, sort of the epitome of that sort of elfin male beauty yep. that Wendy's like, you know, I mean, obviously she dressed female beauty like none other, but when she gets males right, she gets them right. And That's I think, it. you know, Tyr, particularly in that lower panel, is just um, swoon-worthy, I think would be the right Wait, word. <laughs> sorry, which page are we looking at here? Um, I'm looking at the page um, almost at the very end after all the rescuing has happened and there's, uh, you know, sort of the group of them are standing okay. in front of the palace yeah. pod. Yeah. And Tyr and, and, or, and um, or Winkin and Dushan are talking yeah. to Tyr yeah. and sort of this revelation that, you know, I have all this family around. Right. It. I love that group shot at the the top panel too. I Wendy does amazing group shots. I love them, but I specifically love that because Skywise is hugging Yoon. Yoon. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And you said it right. I did. You said it okay. right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I second guessed myself though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You, you, it's you. You, no, you totally nailed it. And and right. and she's another one that I have also been mispronouncing as Yun. Yeah. I think the 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 U's in ElfQuest are the ones that throw me, like Erda versus Orda, Yun versus Yun. Um, yeah. So so yeah, you're not alone in mispronouncing things. Um, like, so yeah, uh, Yun and and Skywise are you know having their little moment, which is just a, another little wonderful thing that totally did not have to be in there and. Wendy and Richard decided to kind of put that in, just tucked away in the corner. Um, little bits of character development and relationship is what makes ElfQuest great. I just, I'm yeah. calling this the this um, issue. the um, The subtitle is uh, "Kissing Cousins." <laughs> okay, that, done. Yeah. <laughs> the final quest number five: Kissing Cousins. That should be the title of the episode yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so yeah. so we've kind of talked about Tyr and his his family backstory, Kavi's his mom, Winkins his father, and all of that. Now let's shift over to Ember and um, and and the whole what's going on with recognition. Okay. All right. Um, yes. Okay. So this is huge. So yeah. So 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 let's talk. Recap the broad brushstroke. Ember sacrifices herself so her tribespeople can get away. Mm -hmm. um, she is in Angriff Jun's possession and being psychologically tortured for maybe a, a day or two, um, maybe not much longer than that. And in and and the recognition, she she recognizes Tyr in the heat of the battle right after Krim gets killed, and then they get separated. So she is now, you know, sort of imprisoned. And Tyr is kind of trying to lead the tribe away, and they're they're getting more distant, but they're still kind of connected. And Tyr is like obsessed with Ember and won't stop focusing on her, um, mm -hmm. which leads her to basically say like, well, I need to sort of break this this connection 
um, or, or, or do something to block it. So Tyr can really focus on getting the rest of the tribe away because that's why I gave myself up. And so she calls her inner, the sort of inner strength and calls upon her mother, Lita, who essentially did the same thing when she recognized Cutter and wasn't ready to accept it. She kind of was able to, you know, block it in some way, shape or form. Right. She severs that, that, that instant connection that recognition gives you, and that causes Tyr to fall into the water, which then prompts her to finally be like, okay, now we need some rescue, and, and that's the events of this issue. So I, 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 I go through that because what this is not, mm-hmm. at least from my reading, my understanding, mm-hmm. is that Ember just kind of flippantly was like, oh, yeah, I don't want a kid. I'm just not going to do this. Um, you know, some of the criticisms of this that I've seen yeah. are that, oh, well, this is like the, you know, an established rule in ElfQuest and they're just throwing it out the window. Mm-hmm. And I really don't agree with that. I think that it's a, it's an extreme example. It's not something that obviously is being done lightly or just cause it's being done under a life and death scenario. There's a, a really, in my, in my mind, a really strong kind of story logic for what led us mm-hmm. there. There's a history, there's a character logic that Ember, unlike most other elves might have this sort of ability like her mother, this power to shut herself off in that way. And, you know, I, I mean, I think it holds. I mean, I think it stands. And then the other last thing to say about it is that, again, it, this is not Ember just saying, oh, yeah, recognition is done and stopping it. Tear obviously, is still feeling the full-blown effects of it. Yes. Um, really, all Ember did was close off that piece of her mind that, you know, hadn't made that, that, that super strong connection um, with Tear, as I just was talking about, so that he could survive. That doesn't mean the biological urge is not necessarily still there. Now, yes, we know that Ember is not really fond of kids and maybe she's not ready to have kids. Mm-hmm. And so the the key the key in all of this is the conversation between Lita and Mender. Yeah. And they say, you know, okay, so this is something new. I don't know, you know, like they're basically like I think we can take it that next step that Ember maybe has started it and maybe what Ember did is only temporary, you know, just like with Lita there's no, there's no, nobody saying that Ember has done this in perpetuity. I mean, in, in the instant moment here, she might be able to sort of block the effects of recognition, but that doesn't mean that in a week she wouldn't be pining just like Lita was eventually and needing to fulfill it. And so it's all, it all boils down to Mender and Lita pulling their significant healing powers with the power of the palace fueling them and essentially turning off the biological urge piece of recognition. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's still there. They still know each other's soul names. They're still, you know, they still have that connection. And, you know, they're even saying that, um, you know, that hopefully one day that flame might be able to be, you know, re-spark the biological flame. But it, it's not Ember just turning recognition off. It's it's magic and significant amounts of magic being able to actually do that. Ember just sort of dampened it or put it on hold. Granted, more more than any other elf we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So again, to me, I don't see any issue whatsoever. I mean, it, I don't think it's negating recognition. I don't think, you know, some folks were like wondering if Dushine would be, uh, have issues with it because Ember seems to, you know, basically be able to do what she would have liked to have done. And again, I don't think Ember's just doing this flippantly. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this. It's like an extreme example of something that could be done so that's the one the the one big thing and then the other thing and then i'll shut up and let you react is um 
I think this is another really powerful example of the autobiographical nature of ElfQuest. Wendy and Richard, again, have publicly talked about the fact that they decided very deliberately not to have their own biological children. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we're seeing is them working that into the story through one of their characters and representing this idea in the real world that, you know, that you don't have to have children to be complete. And that's particularly a message I think for women, because in, you know, let's face it in the real world, um, in many cultures, including, you know, the Western cultures, there's a lot of sort of pressure and judgment on women if they decide not to have babies. And so I think that that is what this is, is about. And again, it's not just sort of poor storytelling where Wendy and Richard just decided, oh, let's throw out one of our long-established rules just to make something happen. No, it's not that at all. So that's my my, my take on all of this. I think it makes, uh, again, perfect sense in the structure and the rest of what's going on in the story. I think there's a good logic there. Um, and I really like that there's something new and different happening in ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Wendy and Richard are really pushing the story um, and taking it in new places. And frankly, I prefer that. I don't want it to just be a rehashing of the same old, you know, uh, battles and issues that we've seen umpteenth times before in past stories. Right. So, yep. your thoughts? Uh, I have no problem with this whatsoever, with what happened in this issue as far as recognition is concerned. None. Um, and I'll explain to you why, but it's pretty much for the reasons you summed up. Um, but... Mm-hmm. When I read this, I immediately thought of forced recognition. So if healers can induce recognition, then it stands to reason that they can turn it off. Now, that's not to say that it wouldn't be difficult or that it's something that they had ever done before. It's clear that forcing recognition is difficult. So to turn it off might be even harder. Um, But in this case, we have two of the most powerful healers ever, potentially, whose power is being amplified by the palace itself, right? So given this decision that Ember and Tyr have made, and I completely agree with you, it's been... been, this this idea that Ember is not ready to have cubs or she's not really interested in them and that uh, Tyr isn't emotionally or psychologically ready to be a father at this point um, because of his abandonment issues, plus everything that's going on with the Jun, etc., um, that they would decide, given the option now that they have, the potential, because of the healers in the palace, to turn off recognition... I don't see why that's a problem at all. That makes total yeah. sense to me. And I completely agree with you too, that if it was just the same status quo in every single ElfQuest adventure, it would get really dull and boring. This is something new. It's interesting. It's, uh, it's a fascinating new aspect of what the elves can, can do with their powers. Plus, it feeds into this whole idea that they're changing irrevocably because of the awakened palace and the power and the effect that it's having upon them as a species. It's changing them inherently. So this is that, that speaks to this. This is, we should be shocked. We should be thinking, Oh my God, what's happening here? Like what's going on? I don't think we should be like, that doesn't sit right with me. I mean, if that's your feeling, then by all means you can own it. Right. 
But I right. don't think that's really as the way that we should be taking it. We should be looking at it as this is a plot point because of what's happening in the story. It's taken us to this place now. Um, and it makes total sense to me, at least. Yeah, that that's yeah absolutely. Going on. And, and, and yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right that this is about like, this is something that can only happen now. On the yeah, story. it could never. You know, this was not an option when Cutter and Lita recognized. This was not an option when and when Dushan and Tildai right. recognized. It's an option now because of the power of the palace and where the these 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 characters have gone in their you know sort of in their story and um yeah i mean and so from that point of view i think i didn't even think about it from that perspective but yeah absolutely this is a great example of how the palace is changing the elves it's giving them more magical ability and yeah and frankly it's changing some of the rules from the past yeah and it, you yeah. know some people have said that it's breaking the rules yeah i guess it is but i it makes sense within the context of the story the palace is having this effect on them they're changing it's been said throughout the series so far they're changing in ways that they, they've never experienced before all of them um because right. of the effects of the palace so this is exactly what we're talking about this is how they're changing recognition that stalwart of elf quest is being affected that's how much power and effect the palace has on the elves that it's doing right. this and, to them and, right and even even if it's a um it's a deliberate thing. Like it's not necessarily the palace, like no. uh, sort of passively affecting no. this, but it's certainly powering Lita and Absolutely. Ender in order to be able to do this very difficult task that they've never done right. before. So, and, and who knows? I mean, they even say like, we don't know if this is going to yeah, work. I mean, this it could end up backfiring. It could be a plot point later on, you know, I mean, who knows what's, what's actually going to happen, but even if they don't end up having, uh, a, a cub, I, it, you know, it's not going to bother me. Now, with that said, that will bother. I will, I will be, just interject. That will bother me because that would mean that the cheese line would end, and I'm not. That doesn't sit well with me. Well, yeah, that is that is an implication. Um, unless that is an implication. Corfe is of the chief's line. Yeah, but she's not a wolf rider. <laughs> True, but you know, I think we're. I mean, it, we all know that the 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 big question of the final quest is you know, who's going to stay and who's going to go. And, you know, is there even going to be a need for a wolf rider chief in the traditional exactly. sense? You know, yeah. I mean, it might be a moot point. It might. Be. Now, I, I can be totally empathetic on one aspect of people's disappointment with this, and that is that I think a lot of fans are just, were really hoping to see a new baby elf. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I, I can, I can feel, feel their pain on that because, okay. I mean, we all love seeing new characters and especially Wolf Rider characters, especially Chiefs, you know, babies characters. And, you know, I kind of think back to what Ekwar said back in, I think it was Siege of Blue Mountain, you know, like what's all this scrambling for, if not for the babies. Right. So I, I can feel and empathize with people's disappointment from that mm -hmm. point of view, because I would love to see what Ember and Tears baby will look like. Yeah. And I don't think that that's totally written. No. In stone that it won't like happen. you said lita specifically says there she says it might be possible to reignite recognition's flame or something along those lines right and right. It, it makes sense because yes they the healers can force recognition so they why couldn't they just you know reestablish yep. that urge again and yep. as far as yeah. ember is concerned with her shutting off recognition part of that seems a little it doesn't really sit too well with me but i mean i can I can make sense of it that she was just um, suppressing it 
and it, to the point where she could I don't I feel like she didn't fully shut it off like it, the urge would have still been there and they would have had to eventually um you know consummated the recognition but just given right. the circumstances that she was in she was in survival mode she was able to suppress it and it, to the point where the urge was uh, dampened to where it wouldn't affect right. either one of them but it, I, my gut feeling is that had they not gone to the healers to have it shut off completely they would have had to consummate the recognition i think so too i mean you know lita was able to hold, hold recognition at bay for what a few weeks yeah. A um, few days, maybe I don't know, and um, and she certainly would have had a far stronger ability than Ember to do it. Right. And so, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think if you look at it in something that happened in the heat of the moment, um, in this under these sort of extreme conditions of tear, you know, trying to lead the Wolf Riders to safety, and and Ember trying to navigate her way through being a captive, like I think it makes total sense, and I don't think that it would have been absolutely permanent without the help of the the magic. Right. So what we've seen here is uh, ElfQuest birth control. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which is a nice counterpoint to, you know, some people, of course, have, you know, I think completely absurdly called recognition like elf rape. You that's, know, like it's like, that is, you know, I think that's absurd. But, you know, if you're going to take that point of view, well, here, now you have a counterpoint right. to it. Okay, so. Um, yeah. All right, so I think we've talked about the two big things, um, you know, tears lineage and then the whole, um, tear Ember recognition, um, being turned off, if you will. There's a few other things before we wrap that I just want to touch on, um, that I think are worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. I loved the scene where Ember is tied up and the humans are pelting her with trash and garbage and everything. And she, you know, is kind of thinking about, you know, remembering Redlands being tortured. Remember I said and, that last episode? Yes. You totally, totally guessed that one. This. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of a nice thing. And just, you know, I, I like it when we get to hear like the internal monologue of, of characters. Like um, and it's an opportunity to kind of connect them back into other stories. And um, but, uh, it, you know, it, it wasn't just for that. I think where the, the point of this this, um, you know, the, sharing this information and this thought process of Ember is that it really right here sums up what I think is going to be a huge plot point in the future. Uh -huh. And that is Ember, after having gone through this experience, not only just her own personal experience of being humiliated and tortured psychologically by Angriff Jun, but connecting it in with the bigger historical abuse of elves at the hands of humans, yeah. um, clearly has had an impact on okay. her. You know, when she sees... The rescued kids from Corbasi, you know, she she clearly has a negative yeah. reaction. Yeah. Um, this is going to be something that we're going to see play I out. In so the rest this of the enmity that may be developing within Ember towards humans. Um, and it's funny yeah. because some people have pointed out, I don't see it, but that she resembles uh, Bearclaw. Right. I, at that point when she's looking at the humans. And we all know, you know, what happened with Bearclaw and humans. Right? Exactly, and his feelings yeah. towards humans and how that brought yeah. so much pain and destruction upon the wolf riders. It created yep. this and, cycle. And when you put that into the context of, you know, where things are, um, you know, in this point in the story where humans are 
far, far more numerous, even than when they were back when Bearclaw was chief. Like the elves are gonna have to deal with humans. Like there's yeah. no way, no how, no way around nope. that. And you know, Angriff John is building, you know, now a, a, an army of ships or a navy or whatever to go, you know, hunt the elves. And so um, my guess is that he's gonna end up going after the wave dancers, um, and that's oh, how they're gonna get brought back into the story. Yeah, I didn't see um, that. you know, Wendy made a comment about, the, or I think it was Richard actually made a comment about the gun. And that it it might have uh, more implications to the story than we first assumed. Um, so I don't know what that means, but I I, I don't yeah, even. Yeah, <laughs> he said something along those lines. You know what? I actually thought um, I was expecting Ember to suffer more torture than she did. Uh-huh, I was surprised uh-huh. that we didn't see more of that because it's it felt like in the last issue it was being set up for Ember to be tortured. Um, really badly um like physically, like physically tortured. tortured yeah yeah um but we didn't see that not that i, I want to see that but it, it just felt like my expectations were sort of turned over as far as that's concerned yeah. all we see is her hanging from this um this stick right on the rope and the humans are spitting at her and throwing yeah vegetables or i don't garbage or yeah. whatever yeah no i mean i think i think the point though i think the point that wendy and richard were trying to make is that um, you know, physical torture isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. And essentially what happened in this, in this, in this story arc is that in many ways, Ember's innocence and her, um, sort of her elfiness were taken away. You know, she, she understands what it means to deliberately harm someone and to torture someone and to manipulate someone, you know, it's kind of like what, um, you know, Clearbrook's reaction when she saw Winnow Will manipulating Rayek, right. um, you know, she got she got physically ill at that thought. And and, you know, Ember has just seen this in a most disgusting, gory fashion, mm-hmm. you know, with um, Arden Jarm getting his face blown off and brain splattered all against the wall. And, and, you know, and this new weapon that has huge, terrifying implications for her people. Like, I think that that I think the point of not actually having her be physically abused was to emphasize how horrible psychological abuse Exactly. Was. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, yeah, I would uh, I would think that that would uh, be pretty accurate. Um, you know what, in that crowd scene, this is, again, a little bit off topic. I don't know if this was Wendy's intention or not, but I just noticed one of the humans standing to the right of the Jun. He's sitting in his throne, and there's one of his, like, priest guys there. And uh-huh. then to the right of that priest guy, there's this dude standing there and he looks to me like Vincent from Beauty and the Beast. And he does kind of a, a Leonardo yeah. look about his nose. Yeah. And I, I don't know if our listeners know this, but Wendy um, illustrated a graphic novel based on the television series Beauty and the Beast in the that was on in the eighties. Um anyway right. it's actually two graphic novels. Yeah, right. Totally worth finding. I've never even. seen them. Search them out on eBay. I've got them both, um, and they're really great. Yeah, so I don't know if she did that on purpose or if that's just me sort of projecting onto that yeah, character. But... I don't know. Wendy, if she listens to this, we'll have to answer yeah. that one. So, <laughs> on that same page, though, I'm glad you um, you, you called out the page. Yeah. Um, I really love the um, the last panel there with uh, the, the palace being reflected in Ember's eyes. Mm-hmm. I think Sunny did a really great job at capturing, again, the luminosity of elfin eyes and um, you get, it's, it's so cinematic that la- those two panels with Ember kind of scowling, thinking about how horrible humans are. And then, you know, the next panel, like you can almost see her eyelids flick up. Yeah. 
like suddenly yeah. there it is, the pod. Yeah, it's great. And then on the next page, we've got um, Winkin, uh, who flies down and saves her. He's got a, a shield, I guess, protecting him, right, from the magic yep. of the palace. Yep. He's, he's yep. using Skywise's sword, and he specifically says he's using Skywise's sword. This uh, stood out to me because... Me too. Because, and I think it's for the same reason, Ember l- loses her sword in this issue, and so does Tyr. Why yeah. so much emphasis on swords in this issue? I don't it know. It feels like foreshadowing know. for something. I I completely agree. Um, so so we've got Winkin specifically referencing Skywise's yes. sword. Now, now, in this instance, it could just be because Winkin doesn't carry a weapon. And so they might have decided that they needed to explain where Winkin got the sword from. Yeah. Since they wanted him to go rescue Ember. Right. Or, and or, and that probably is the case, it's probably an and or, that there is something going on with swords, because the issue ends with Ember saying that she lost her sword um, to Angriff John, and that Antir has also lost his sword, and then the cover for issue six features both of those swords. Exactly. So something is going on with Something's swords. happening. And if you remember that teaser image that came out two years ago, or a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. one of the first for Final Quest where Cutter's freaking out and Lita's reaching out to him. And Wendy wrote this cryptic message along with it that you should look for what's missing. And a lot of people were saying, oh, he doesn't have his face for her, but she said, no, he does. Uh, He's missing his wolf blood. She said, no, that's not it. He doesn't have New Moon in that picture. He's missing New Moon. His sword. What is going on with the swords? I, 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 when you said that uh, in specific reference to to what's going on now, I think you might be onto okay, something. Okay, and then we've got Tree Stump, who's forging bright metal now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe this is all connecting somehow. It's all going towards something. Right, and who knows? This could also be uh, how the trolls make their way back into the story. Yes. Um, which I am dying for. We need trolls. No. We need trolls. <laughs> I want to see Queen Drug. Yes. I want to see Old Maggoty. I want to see Picknose. I want to see Flam. I could take or leave Trinket, to be honest with you. I want to but... see. I want to see grown-up Trinket. <laughs> I want to see what she looks like as a grown-up. <laughs> drawn by drawn Wendy. by Wendy. Yes, because we have seen her, but we... not drawn by Wendy. Exactly. Yeah. So, so who knows? There's definitely, definitely something going on um, with with swords and weapons, and yeah. and yeah. I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of weapons, mm-hmm. this is the other thing that I wanted to talk about is how much innuendo got woven into this issue of phallic humor yeah. at the expense of Angriff Jun and his gun. Yeah. I mean, so, so you know, Winkin swoops in and rescues Ember and, you know, and the Jun is like, oh, okay, I'm like the swords and the arrows and the spears can't pierce his blade, but this thing is going to do it. And he shoots it and the, the, the like it, it makes this big blast, but when it hits them, it makes this noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so, like the perfect. Um, yeah. yeah, just it's like like the, it's a sound effect that captures how weak and puny this. Yeah, this this you know let's let's face it. Angriff John is like you know the the archetypical you know sort of macho, power hungry kind of asshole man, yeah. right? And so he's sort of like the anti B, you know, right. and. Um, 
you know, and so so like and the, and the and guns traditionally have been and weapons in general have been kind of symbolic for you know for manhood, if you will. And so I just I just thought it was so great how. Um, okay, thoughts are firing off in my brain that I wasn't thinking about when I started talking. But if you remember last episode, we were talking about the interplay between Angriff John and Ember, and I was saying how you know what he's winning. He's winning this battle. He's not only torturing her, but he's getting information out of her and he's not losing anything. I think what's happening here is the perfect, you know, summation of, of, of the fact that, you know, as much as he won that, that battle, he's totally going to lose the war. So that happens. And then what's the other thing? Then he's sitting there musing, um, brooding after they all escape. And he's like, um, you know, we see sort of the specter of Arden Jarum kind of mocking him and saying, you know, like, both of your sons are dead and now you have a weapon that won't work. Yeah, is that what's going on with that with Arden Jarum there? Is he a ghost or is that just the John thinking of him saying that? I, I interpret it as sort of I don't think he's like physically manifesting no. and talking. Um, you know, it could be his spirit, you know, speaking mentally to Angriff Jun. It could be Angriff Jun's, um, you know, inner, um, inner demons, if you will, kind of speaking and manifesting as Arden Jarm yeah. out of guilt or whatever, right. and, you know, sticking the knife in, if you mm-hmm. will. But, um, but there's that, that, that little comment about his weapon, in quotes, not being able to reach the mark because he has no heirs now. Um, and he's certainly not going to be able to make any more with his faulty weapon. Exactly. And then, um, yeah. and then lastly on that page, <laughs> like it's, it's a totally dramatic scene. Yeah. And unless you have like a dirty mind, like obviously yeah. I do, um, or yeah. at least a, you know, sort of a nine-year-old uh, maturity <laughs> yeah. level mind, he says, I came here for wood and wood I shall have. <laughs> no, you won't buddy. Nope. Not anymore. <laughs> I didn't so, that though one before. You do have a the mind of a nine year old. <laughs> you know, so as much as as much as this is a very dark, dramatic scene, yeah. if you if you have the right sort of way of uh, again immature way of reading things, yeah. you'll get a good chuckle out of yeah, it as yeah. well. No, I like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, he says he'll strip the demon's former stronghold to the naked soil. Right, right. Lots of yeah. imagery there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So those chuckles aside, um, really the only other thing to talk about, and I think this is actually a great way to end this episode, mm-hmm. is the really lovely, oh, yeah. cute, uh, cute's not the right word, but um, yeah, the, of, of the howl yeah. for Krim. You know, now that we're through the action and the strife and this sort of story arc is, you know, is kind of winding down to kind of lead into the next big one um, in the next issue, we finally get a chance to kind of take a breath, mourn for Krim, and we see this great, adorable scene of Scott, Krim, Pike, and Sust, their child. And I don't think we've ever seen the four of them together. And so I just thought it was a really sweet way uh, and heartwarming way to kind of end a story that so far has been pretty dark. Yes, I agree. It's a very emotional, poignant moment, and like you say, very sweet. Um, finally, the, this family is reunited, and it really uh, illustrates the fact that the elves have this connection to the afterlife and to the to the spirits. That really, the, these connections that they have don't ever end. They don't have to, right? right? They're still all together in some way. So, yeah, right. especially not in um, as we were talking about earlier. 
you know, with the palace, they have access and ability to to commune with the spirits of the dead in a far greater way than we've ever seen before in the story. And so, mm-hmm. you know, while dead characters stay dead, um, we also see them being able to play a little bit more of a role than they might have been able to in the past because of the power of the palace. Definitely. Yeah. And the effect that it's having on the living elves, who it's not just that the pa- the palace has power, but it's the fact that the elves themselves are being changed so that they can, um, you know, perceive these things in a much greater way than they could before. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just I gotta say it, uh, Sunny's coloring, especially um, in the um, panels where they're all gathered together, uh, lit up by the <laughs> the glow of the pod, is just spectacular. I, I totally, yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I generally, um, I, I, I like seeing the colors, like the actual yeah. colors. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, um, I feel a little bit cheated when you have full pages or series of pages yeah. sort of done in tones. Right. But but this is not one of those instances. I, I think the, you're absolutely yeah, I right. I thought the exact same thing. You expressed it perfectly. But you, for, yeah, yeah, Sunny really uh, amazingly captures that luminosity, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, that that the palace puts out, and you know, at nighttime, it's the exact right coloring for the Perfect. scene. Perfect. Yeah, they're backlit by this this soft glow, and it's all slate gray blues uh, that they're they're um, colored in. Yeah, it's just beautiful work. Right. So the only last thing that I have to yes. say is prediction, okay. and that is that once they get up to in the palace pod to wherever whatever is up at the top of the mountain, I think that um, probably they're going to celebrate by having an elf orgy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I I it just popped into my brain that you had not mentioned it. it yet, so yeah. I figured. Oh. Yeah. For the very first time, it was I got to be the Thank one that you, mentioned Dave. it. <laughs> Thank you. you did not let me down. I'm so, I'm so pleased that you said that. Yeah, it's going to be kissing cousins for sure. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay, so anything else that you want to that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, well, the only other thing I think is our um, favorite and oh, favorite yeah. moments from the issue. Um, do you want me to start? Yes, because oh. I always difficult okay. with this because it's least favorites. I actually <laughs> I have quite a few, but I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on this one. It's actually contradictory. Okay. My least favorite moment is the fact that Tyr is related to Kavi and Winkin because I've said this before that it feels too stretched for me when characters are that closely related to each other, like two main characters and it stretches believability a little bit for me. Uh-huh. Um, but on the flip side, my favorite moment is that Tyr is the son of Winkin and Kavi. <laughs> <laughs> because I just think it was handled so well uh, in this issue. And um, I actually really like it at the same time as kind of disliking <laughs> it. So, Well, you know what? I mean, I think that's totally fair. <laughs> and I can I can appreciate... If you know, when, I, I can appreciate if, if people don't like the fact that there are, are are all of these connections. Like I said, for me personally, it doesn't bother me. Um, but um, I love the fact that it's 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 your favorite and least favorite thing about yeah, the, the issue. Is. Um, I really am having trouble picking something that I don't like about this How issue. How about um, uh, the lack of the boy and the girl? Okay, there you go. Oh, by the way, Wendy corrected us. Yes. 
Uh, I think it was on Facebook. So the boy is the boy. The older girl is Molly. Oh, okay. And the little girl, yeah. who is the, um, the, the one who was burned, yeah. has not yet been named. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Wendy teased that it might, um, I think her name is going to be revealed in issue number seven, which would be the one after next. So they're obviously going to stick around, those kids. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, uh, I can't pick something that I don't like. Um, that girl's name should be Tinder. <laughs> That's just sick and wrong. <laughs> it's the nine-year-old um, brain thing kicking in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. What am I going to pick? All right. I guess the only thing that I can pick as something that is not my favorite in this is the the um, the different style of art on the big splash page where you have Kavi and Tears faces in close up really rendered, um, you know, kind of tight and realistically. And then the um, the spirit form of Kavi being a little bit more on the um, Wendy's cartoon side of, of the spectrum of her mm-hmm. art. Um, not that I dislike yep. that, but it's a little bit jarring okay. on the same the page to see a bit. Yeah, yeah that's, this style is my clash. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. So now that you forced me to pick something, um, the my favorite part is going to be super easy, and that is Winkins Coma. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think so. that, yeah, and no more needs to be said, right? That's, right. Yep. <laughs> All right. So um, on that very mature note, um, why don't we wrap this up? Um, I want to end by reminding everybody what we talked about at the very top of the show is um, the um, sort of the, the, the listener the listener episode, if you will. So stay tuned for instructions on exactly how you can submit your thoughts and questions to us for us to um, play on um, an upcoming episode of the Elf well, Quest Show podcast. Before instructions, uh, hold, hold on until I can find out if I can actually do it or not. Well, that's yeah, what I mean. Okay. Once you figure that yeah. out and, and you know, you, we figure out how we want to do it, then we can post on the ElfQuest forums and on Facebook and um, so that you know, everybody out there that's listening will know what to do if we can actually figure out how we'll to do it. We'll let you off. know either way, though, of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So with that, um, I think we'll, we'll wrap it and we will see you guys um, sooner rather than later. And hopefully. we made it under two hours this time. I yeah. Know. Score. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right, bye, everyone. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff, like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.